Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week, we are joined by our Norwood Park location pastor, Brenton Smith. Yeah, and we get to talk with him about God's mercy, the stone of stumbling, and Romans 9. Great, let's get started. I'm Hillary Murphy. And I'm Trevor Lovell. And this is the Pastor's Cut with Brenton Smith. Well, welcome, Brenton. Thank you so much for joining us for the Pastor's Cut. My question for you today is, when you can travel again, where are you the most excited to go? That's <laughs> a good question. Actually, um, this coming Thursday, I am leaving. I don't. Is it safe to travel yet? So maybe, uh, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, I'll be uh, taking off to Mexico, going back to uh, see my brother in Puebla for a little bit of time, and then to Mexico City. Actually, I'll see Joel at there as well for a little bit. So that'll be kind of fun to cross paths in Mexico city for a little bit. Yeah. 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 And for those of you who don't know, Brenton actually grew up in Mexico city. Yeah. Yeah. Missionary kid, right. MK. That's right. That's right. Mexico city. So kind of going back to my roots for just a little bit, just a taste. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. What about you, Hillary? I'm really excited to go to Italy again, which I've been before, but my brother is supposed to get married there. So I'm really excited to finally make it there because, I mean, he's getting married. <laughs> and I just love Italy and Italian food. So. Yeah, what about yeah. you, Trevor? Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't done actually a ton of international travel um, aside from mainly just mission trips. So uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get to take part in another one of those again. Um, I know I've been to Turkey before, so it would be really cool to go back, especially since we've got some friends who have gone over. Uh, and are doing uh, doing some some good work there now since we've had the last chance to go. So that would be really cool. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So Brenton. Yeah. You preached at uh, Norwood Park this past weekend. And Forest Glen. Yep. And Forest Glen. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Romans chapter nine, uh, verse one, all the way to chapter ten, verse four. Could you give us a quick recap of your sermon? <laughs> I'll do it about as quick as I preached it. Now, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, hey, I was able to squeeze it into twenty-five minutes. I was shocked, um, but maybe it shows the quality of my sermon. Hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully, it was still encouraging. But so here, here's the thing: Romans nine um, through ten, four. Uh, it's a long passage, so it's basically a summary of some of the arguments that Paul is making up to that point, highlighting some things. Um, I ended uh, basically wanting to focus on the first part of um, Paul's heart for his people. I think that was such an in- uh, incredible part that this deep theology is sandwiched with his heart for his people. That that theology isn't born out of a, a distant heart, but it's out of a near heart. And so that was that was part of it. Then I just went and entertained the four questions that he asked. The first question: uh, Did God fulfill His promise? With God, was God faithful? Did He fulfill His promise to Israel? That was the first question found in verse six. And the next one was um, in verse fourteen: Is God unjust? Kind of saying, Did God do this? Is it unjust? And then the the next question, kind of, kind of, I think Paul is like preempting our thoughts. He's kind of in our in our brain space and saying, okay, if I say this, you'll probably imagine this. He says, uh, why does God still blame us then? If we are all subject to his will, why does God blame us uh, for, for wrath? Why doesn't he just give us his righteousness? And so he answers that verses 19 through 29. And then the last question was in verse 30. Uh, why do the Gentiles attain this righteousness, the right standing before God instead of Israel? Um, and, and kind of unpack that piece. And then I ended with um, six application points, six application points that I think are, are, are all straight from the, the passage. 
Um, Maybe I can just read them really quick if that's all right, because I, I feel like these application points are really where, from this deep theology, how does it really affect us? Um, the first one is let your heart break for those who are far from God. This very simple, let your heart break for them. Um, second one was pray for them. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 10 actually says that he is praying for the salvation of others, for those of his people. And so really commit to praying uh, for those who are lost. Uh, verse 3, believe that your prayers are being heard by God that can actually respond that he's not stuck in a system, but that when you pray, he's hearing it and he actually can change stuff just like he's been doing as he's shown through the whole of chapter nine. Um, number four application was share the gospel the best you can and then let God draw those whom he's chosen. Sometimes I think we shy away from sharing the gospel, but yet um, do it the best you can. Like, so you're going to mess up, but you can't mess up God's eternal destiny for someone because he's already got that etched into history. And so do the best you can and then let God actually be the one who draws and saves people. Number five, uh, stop trying to earn your right standing, pursue it by faith, um, which is what Israel was doing. They're trying to find their own righteousness by their work. And it very clearly says that in the, in the passage that they were trying to attain their salvation through their work. And so stop, you know, we, we, many of us have grown up in the church or at least are aware of the church. And we just work, work, work. And it's saying, stop, stop working, stop working. Take it by faith. And then number six, uh, be awestruck by God's mercy in your life. Um, he doesn't have to be merciful. So let that move you into worship. So yeah, those are kind of the basic mm -hmm. six application points. And then the rest kind of just answering the questions mm -hmm. that, that the text brings up and that the text itself actually brings up. That's the thing. Paul has so many questions. And, and he doesn't shy away from the hard ones. He actually invites the hard questions. And that's cool. I think that's really neat that, that those that we look to, the scripture doesn't say, okay, let's, let's just throw layups for each other, you know? <laughs> let's make it look really easy. Now he's like, let's, yeah. hit, let's hit the hard stuff. So anyway, that's a recap. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like even what you said there with the first application, like of letting your heart break for them and seeing how Paul frames the whole issue with that, mm -hmm. right? Starting with his anguish in the beginning and then comes back to it in the beginning of chapter 10. A lot of times when people study this passage or when they break it down, um, like people will, will spend weeks on this one chapter alone preaching yeah. through in, in different sections. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you do that, it, well, it's easy to take that approach because there's so much here and it's so dense. But also I think, I think when you do that, it's easy to miss kind of the broader context that mm -hmm. this isn't just like pure abstract theology, but that Paul actually is like, he's holding to this, but he's also upset by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there, there is tension there. And I feel like that was one of the benefits of us actually moving through it quicker mm -hmm. and having a broader, um, a broader approach at it. Yeah. So. You actually capture the idea versus mm -hmm. just get so stuck in the details. Cause there's a lot of, I mean, you could, like you said, people spend weeks and you could like spend hours just talking about verb forms and about different ways in which thing, you know, and you could spend so much time and yet you go, well, wait a minute, this actually matters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Thanks, Brenton. That's a lot. And I think those application points are, are great. Is there one of those points that you found the most surprising as you dived into that or that you're most excited to really integrate in your own life? Yeah, you know, um, actually the first one, the one that we just mentioned, um, uh, the way that we're doing it. So at Norwood Park now, we're doing house churches. So we're meeting different house churches throughout the Northwest side. And so instead of just doing like a sermon online that everybody watches, we're doing interactive questions. So one of the questions that I put into my, baked into my sermon that I asked them to kind of pause and talk about was, uh, when was the last time that you were sad about somebody rejecting the gospel, somebody not getting it? And that for me is the question that, a surprised me. It kind of made me go like, okay, I came up with a question. Great. But it hasn't like, 
emotionally, I haven't been able to leave it. Um, I've, I've mm-hmm. had to like stick with it and kind of feel some of that tension of like, man, when did I really feel sorrow? When was my mm-hmm. heart broken? When did I lose sleep? Because I was just heartbroken over, um, some of my friends that are far from God. Um, and, and I think that's something that we should each wrestle with. Like, cause he's, Paul's, he's doing it. He's doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, I think the alternative is, is really hard because if we don't have a broken heart, we have, uh, we have a prideful elitism. We think that we are elite. And so then therefore anybody below us doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't qualify. And so we've achieved something. And that's the whole point against this passage. It's saying you've done nothing for this. Um, mm-hmm. you, this isn't about you. This isn't because you, you did something great that God chose you. In fact, uh, in one of the illustrations about um, Jacob and Esau, he says before they were even bored, before they could do anything good or anything bad, I chose, you know? Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I think that's the point of it. So why should we think that we're something? And they, that, that that's for the longest time really actually made me, I didn't like this passage for a long time. And it was because a lot of the people that were explaining it to me, I just felt an error about them that turned me off. Yeah. And so studying it, wrestling with it, I was kind of like, ugh. but it wasn't until I saw Paul's, Paul's heart that it made me go, it's worth diving into because it, because it does matter. So anyway, a long answer, but yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, quite a few things um, got cut just to keep keep moving. Um, one of the ones it's it's interesting that um, Romans um, nine here. It, it seems like Paul's tracking. He's having a conversation. He's he's speaking towards something. One, two, and three, and then all of a sudden, like in four, he kind of goes down a rabbit trail. It seems like. And he kind of stops talking about righteousness and just starts kind of hitting different, like, okay, well, Abraham and this, and he starts hitting a lot of different things. Um, but, it, but it seems like for six chapters here, he goes on this rabbit trail and then he finally picks it back up in verse nine. So I think it's, it's worth kind of going back and seeing Romans three, where that rabbit trail kind of begins or, or stems from where he starts introducing this concept. So um, in Romans uh, chapter three, verse 21 Um, It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So there he's introducing a lot of things that are actually being brought up in chapter 9. For all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So I I feel like that's part of what, what he's doing. He's, he's, He's kind of then gets this rabbit trail, he goes back, but now he comes back to this idea of righteousness. He kind of comes back and he says, okay, if this is true, that has real implications for my people. And I think that's where the heartbreak comes in, the real implications. And then he starts to explain, um, kind of processing some of those those things. Election. He, I mean, he goes through election. He goes through uh, some, he touches on predestination. I don't think he really, it's not the tackling, but he, he touches on it. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, so it's basically that connecting point that that righteousness from early on he he comes back to it because it's it's that important. So that was one of the things that I I, I didn't give a lot of context coming from back then. I I, I kind of just started um, right from nine. Um, so yeah, yeah. I know the transition from eight to nine is almost like shocking when you're reading it. Yeah, because eight is just like this like good thing after good thing, just this steady build to like this huge celebration. Yeah, and uh, some people say it's like the greatest chapter in all the Bible, and then the like in the very next like couple of verses of chapter nine, it's just a 
like a complete reversal in tone and in feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what, what happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that got cut was the, um, the whole stumbling stone that's towards the end of the passage. Um, it's in verses, um, 32 and 33. I, I just didn't even touch it. I, I feel like Paul is arguing a few things here. His question there is, um, why did the, why have the Gentiles attained this instead of the, the, the Jewish, the Israelites? And the basic answer is because they've been working for it instead of receiving it by faith. That so I kind of just hunkered down on that piece, and in verse ten it kind of acknowledge it kind of reiterates some of those things. But this whole stumbling block, I didn't even I didn't even touch, you know. Um, and this is this is the verse. Why? Because they do not pursue it by faith. This is verse thirty two, but as if they were based on works. Um, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Now he's going to go to Isaiah and he quotes Isaiah. Uh, Behold, I am lying in Zion, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Um, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And he's actually combining two passages of Isaiah. He's kind of bringing them together. Isaiah 28, 16 and Isaiah 8, 14. He kind of smashes them together and says, okay, this is what, which is pretty common. Actually, uh, Peter does it as well in 1 Peter 2. He, he smashes these verses together and they kind of use them together, which which would just indicate that that was a, a normal thing that they would do. They'd see these passages and, they, and they'd combine them. The, the thing that hits me with these passages is, is the context around them. Uh, so often when, um, and I've said this before, it might have even been on the pastor's cut. Um, and if not, I know I said it in sermons. When, when a New Testament author is quoting from the Old Testament, he means to bring the context in from the Old Testament, not just highlight or proof text something. And the original readers would have grabbed that and gone, I know where he's going with that. Whether it's a story um, and he's just mentioning a piece of the story, they have the whole context of the story, which we as, as uh, New, New Testament believers don't always get that context. Maybe because it's been our failure in discipling people. Maybe. Um, to really understand the scripture, but um, for them it was is, it was natural to go back. So I think it's good to go back and look at Isaiah, um, Isaiah chapter um, twenty eight verse sixteen, uh, which says, "Therefore, uh, thus says the Lord God: Behold, I am I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone of uh, a, a testing stone, a precious cornerstone." Um, of sure foundation. And, and here he's highlighting the whole idea of foundation, which actually is what Peter highlights as well. Peter highlights the whole idea of, of um, it's a foundation, the cornerstone, that Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. Uh, Paul isn't taking that same place. He actually would rather refer back to the whole stumbling idea. Um, and that's where he gets this in, in chapter 8, verse 14. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone. He's talking about the fear of the Lord. He says, you guys should really be afraid of this. Fear the Lord. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare uh, to the inhabitation of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it and they shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. He's he's basically saying like there's a, there's a stone which is meant for salvation. And yet they failed to see it. They fail to see what the stone was. And so they are responsible for their failure to recognize that this cornerstone is Christ. Um, and, and then I think, too, I, I didn't even touch on this in that same quoting. Um, he talks about um, we'll not be ashamed. And, and it's the whole mm-hmm. idea of not just not ashamed in our life, but we won't be ashamed when we go before God in judgment. And we have no reason to be ashamed that we've come through faith. 
Um, we've actually got a really secure, solid foundation to stand on if we believe. Kind of goes back again mm-hmm. to believe now that we should we should believe. Whoever believes will not be ashamed. And so, those are the things. Yeah. They're they're kind of big, but there's so many big things in here that you you just yeah. kind of have to <laughs> figure out which one which which big thing are you gonna let go. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting with that, uh, the quote coming from Isaiah there, and you, you like drawing out how Peter uses it in one way, Paul uses it in another, mm-hmm. and it, it like it means both of those, and Paul even begins to draw some of that out more in, in chapter 11, how like the, the hardening of the people of Israel mm-hmm. actually opened up salvation to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. the partial hardening, yeah. and so, yeah, yeah, you can see that with this. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Well, I think that too, right? Because so much of, of, of his mercy is here. That's, I think, such an amazing piece. And, and he says that he's merciful mm-hmm. to both the Gentiles and 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 um, and Jewish people in Israel. He's, he's, he's merciful to both. Um, and then he quotes out of Hosea, which I, I love the Hosea passage, by the way, where he's like, uh, those that aren't my people shall be my people. Those who are not loved are beloved. And he's actually referencing his children's names. And I, I just think it's hilarious. Like, I don't think I would ever name one of my children. You're not mine. You know, you're not mine. You know, or or you're not loved. You know, and every time you call him to dinner, you're like, "Hey, you kid, I don't love. <laughs> Come eat." You know, but but that's what he's doing, and he's he's kind of turning that to say, um, those that were so far the Gentiles have now seen my mercy, and mm-hmm. they are loved. And but then he goes right into Isaiah again and, and quotes them that his mercy is seen in his remnant, that he's left a remnant, that he has not completely destroyed Israel, which is what they deserved. Um, he's he's left a remnant. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, deep stuff. <laughs> so Trevor also preached on this passage this weekend. And one question he posed was, has God been unjust in saving others and not everyone? So I'd love mm-hmm. to hear your response to that and how that impacts the way we evangelize. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I wish I would have thought of it. Uh, we should have, uh, we should have compared notes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say God is not unjust um, because he's merciful. Again, he highlights mercy in this section. He actually mentions it, um, uh, what was it? What were the numbers? He mentions it nine times and only twice outside of this section. Um, So mercy is like such a strong piece. And and in fact, I would say God would be unjust if he gave us something um, that we, if he didn't give us something that we deserved, God would be unjust. And so if I had been working for something, just like we work a job and and if we work our hours and yet our company doesn't pay us that would be unjust they would we we'd put in the hours we expect a paycheck you know same thing with with god um except none of us deserve this it's his mercy in which he gives us this above and beyond and so as is he unjust now <laughs> he's not unjust because we don't deserve it it's actually mercy and that's why he gives it to us it's a short answer i guess but yeah. How'd you yeah. answer that? Um, I, I said the same thing. Um, I talked about how, like, with the lump of clay, he points out that the vessels made for honorable, mm-hmm. dishonorable purposes, they both come from the same lump of clay, yeah. right? Meaning we're all sinful humans, right? And you even see that in the examples with Moses. He's pleading with God on behalf of the Israelites because they're guilty. Mm-hmm. God gives them mercy. Um, and then Pharaoh is in the exact same place. He's guilty. But for some reason, God chooses judgment rather than mercy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that when you go back to the the passage there, you see um, Exodus 9, 15 and 16, that it's really similar to what Paul says in 22 and 23, that God does that in order to you know make known the riches of his glory from vessels yeah. of mercy. 
Yeah. Um, yep. So I did that. I do think one thing that's really fascinating about this um, is that there's kind of, I, like I've noticed in doing research with this, looking up like, uh, like Ravi Zacharias, right? He's a well-known apologist. Um, he just actually passed away earlier this year, but yeah. started Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And he would go to universities all over the place and uh, kind of, he would give talks and then have these question and answer formats uh, where people could pose any question. And uh, I think he would always talk about how he'd get like the same 10 questions over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was around this issue. And I know that there's a difference in actually how people can go about answering this, that uh, that there are Christians who, who want to preserve that notion of free will. Um, and basically what they'll say is that uh, like both, whichever side of this you fall on, everyone would affirm that nobody actually chooses, is able to choose Jesus apart from God working in their life. No one's able to do that. Um, But the other side would say that there's this category called um, prevenient grace, which is like a blanket grace that God puts Mm -hmm. over everyone to give them the ability to choose or or not to choose. And so it puts the responsibility on the individual. Yeah. and so I know that's one of the things I wrestled with in this is like, which is, and not that I have, I mean, I've wrestled with that a lot of times over the years and yeah. I have a place that I land. Um, yeah. And it was just, it, it's like when you come to a passage, sometimes they, it can like, I guess it can make those things that you've wrestled with in the past become a, a more present issue again. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to work through this? Where do I fall on this? And it, it was can also really bring Paul's, clarity, right? It can also bring some clarity yeah. to some of that wrestling as you've gone through. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. there's some new things I'm able to to help mm-hmm. respond uh, to that question. Yeah, you know, and, and kind yeah. of the second question that you made, Hillary, how does this affect our um, evangelism, or how do we how do, how does that affect the way that we share the gospel? I, from looking at this passage, I'd go like, God has a people that He's chosen, and we can't. Um, we can't fumble it for him, if that makes sense. It doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to share the gospel. We have the joy of being able to be a part of this salvific work, part of this, this salvation in others. We, we get the joy of that. But um, ultimately, we can't ruin it for God. And so I think that should give us more courage to share because if we can't answer a question, their eternal destiny is not in the balances it's not about how good of a salesperson I am with the gospel. It's that I'm faithful to the gospel. A quick story with that. I preached this in Spanish. So that's another really cool thing that, that we're doing at Norwood Park. We're starting a Spanish church. And I preached this in Spanish. And one of the ladies that was there um, was actually visiting a friend. She's from Colorado Springs. And she came in just for the weekend. And she was here. And I kind of said, so how did you hear the gospel? And she said, well, it's it's, it's crazy. You know, where I grew up in Peru, um, I grew up Catholic and I went even to a parochial school and everything. And then I, I went to Japan and I started because her family was from Japan. So she went back to Japan to work and whatnot. And when I was there, I was looking for a church and the only church and this, check this out, a Hispanic, a Spanish speaking church in the middle of Japan. Um, I, I this is the only church I could find. So I went. And they did an altar call and they explained the gospel verse by verse. And it was so clear that instantly my mom and I stood up and walked to the front and gave our lives over to Christ. And it was because it was the word of God that was being spoken. And I just think it's it's only like God picks somebody up from a, a, what we might call somewhat saturated with the Bible, 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 Bible. Even in the Catholic realm, there's Bible around and whatnot. Maybe not preaching the, the gospel all the time, but at least there's a Bible. But they had to go to Japan where it's like 0.01% Christian and even less, a Hispanic congregation, you know? And it's just his way to draw people to himself in that way. Like, you can't evade it. You can't get around it. He will save those whom he calls. 
So, sorry. It's kind of a long question or a long answer too, but I, I just think that that should give us the courage to really share because we're not going to mess it up. I don't have to be the most incredible salesperson. I just have to be faithful to the gospel and God will use it. Yeah, thanks, Brent. And that's great. And I feel like it just reminded me of something else too, doing the phase one and disciple intensive making courses through park of just remembering too, that you never know what seeds you're planting and you might not see the results of it, but how, how God sees that later. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. And that was a really cool story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being with us today, Brent. This has been great. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor's Cut. We hope you come back next week for our global weekend and as we move into Romans chapter 10. And don't forget that you can also watch the Pastor's Cut on our YouTube channel.